as as a retailer, you are in charge of essentially setting the trend uh, with with not only your assortment but with your customer service and the experience that you're offering. So, being a retailer, being a a lounge consumption lounge business, you have a lot of power uh, to set trends in cannabis. Hey guys, welcome to Wine, Whiskey, and Weed Show. This is your host Sid Patel. I have Maha Hak Hak with me. Uh, please, I'm sorry, you know, but I'll have you also pronounce your name. Uh, so I have Maha Huck with me. She takes care of, you know, the cannabis retail and lounges at Green Thumb Industries, which is one of the leading uh, players in cannabis in America. And really, her job is to, you know, uh, kick off new dispensaries, lounges, and also help them with product assortment. You know, try to have a theme to the each dispensary and so on. So I think I think we're going to have lots uh, to learn, especially for dispensary owners who are trying to open up multi-state facilities or even their first one. You know, I, I really want to go there so they can learn from an experienced professional like Yamaha. So oh, thank you very much. You know, uh, <laughs> why don't you give our audience a little bit of you know context about your journey into cannabis and what what exactly do you do there? Oh, for sure. So um, this is my 10th year working in the legal cannabis space. So I started as soon as I could start working um, at dispensaries. So uh, my first job, I was a butt tender, worked my way up the management ladder, um, got to be a general manager for a couple dispensaries at a very young age. Um, I worked at vertically integrated shops. So I was exposed to different aspects of the supply chain. So Mm -hmm. I was exposed a little bit to uh, cultivation and distribution from time to time, as well as uh, delivery. Uh, But then, you know, the only sector of cannabis that I hadn't really touched was the analytical cannabis testing side. So Mm -hmm. that was my job before the pandemic happened. I was working at a testing lab and understanding that part of the supply chain. And Mm -hmm. while that was going on, consumption lounges started to uh, become a new reality for a Mm -hmm. lot of cannabis businesses. So um, I shifted my focus to that um, and primarily more from a business development and licensing application perspective. So Mm -hmm. um, I worked at a Denver-based consulting firm where I got that exposure, uh, the business development and licensing exposure. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, after after experiencing the supply chain, um, started my own consultancy called Hospitality, um, Mm -hmm. where we worked uh, and focused on consumption lounges and sometimes retail projects. And uh, now I'm with GTI. Um, all while doing this, I had my cannabis nonprofit as well called Canna Club. Um, it's nice. a cannabis student organization at 26 universities. So that also helped uh, when it came to resources and uh, just linking. What does that do? Uh, what, what purpose is that solving? So um, so three pillars for Canna Club is education, advocacy, and opportunity. So that final okay. pillar of opportunity is, is we uh, link our students to nice. awesome jobs in the cannabis industry and vice versa. We're connecting cannabis companies with top talent from these top tier universities. We also help with like uh, sourcing volunteers for uh, cannabis events and um, collaborating with brands on educational and community-based initiatives. So, you know, every... Every cannabis business has to fulfill some type of community benefits plan uh, per whatever uh, city they're in, um, you know, per their license requirements. Mm-hmm. So Canna Club helps with that. So we do nice. a lot of like educational initiatives and uh, community initiatives um, together. So I always try to tie that in with my work. I always try to yep. m- make it known that this is a resource um, for both ends. So it also True. benefits the students It benefits the cannabis companies. So um, I definitely leverage Canna Club quite a bit, although yeah, I'm not a student anymore. I guess. 
it's definitely yeah. a perk for whatever company I'm tied with. <laughs> yeah, 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 great. I mean, I can see a lot of uh, entrepreneur DNA there. You know, you just uh, <laughs> threw in uh, three or four things that you're doing. So uh, I think, I believe right now it's full-time job at Green Thumb still, right? Yeah. Got it. So uh, uh, what's what's the role exactly there? Like if, if there was a KPI, you know, uh, and if your boss, let's say, had to measure you on your performance, what is that? So we do have like a, uh, I guess, a scoring and tracking system that we have for all of our operators or our, all of our operating teams. So, um, you know, we, I, it's hard to measure what I do. I do a lot of big picture planning and, um, you know, strategic initiatives. So, um, you know, although I'm not there day to day, I'm not on the floor. So give us some examples on what exactly, what do you mean strategic initiatives? Let's yeah. Say. So expansion efforts, tracking new and emerging markets, um, checking out what uh, real estate would be perfect for a specific area. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking at like, you know, fast food, um, formerly fast food uh, buildings are, you know, very interesting to look at for a dispensary. Um, Also with lounges, figuring out different business models uh, and revenue streams, um, you know, for for the lounge uh, offerings. So let's Mm -hmm. say we have, um, you know, a variety of different devices. Are we going to utilize them as rentals? Are we going to have a try before you buy program? So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of different, um, a a lot of different uh, plugging and playing and Mm -hmm. trying out different options uh, happening in my world. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not on the floor day to day, but I am doing a lot of big picture plans and projects. Mm-hmm. And, Understood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great. I uh, let's define, you know, uh, dispensary and lounge. You know, someone like, especially, I'm a good example. Is you know, still trying to understand cannabis industry. Uh, what can a dispensary do, and what can a lounge do? If you had yeah. to please explain me. So a dispensary can dispense cannabis. So you sell cannabis legally at a uh, a cannabis shop. So it's mm-hmm. quite literally a retail experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, it's a retailer. It's a cannabis retailer. So all you're doing there is you're shopping for weed, you're buying it, and you're getting out. Consumption lounges is a, or a consumption lounge is a area uh, where you can consume um, essentially in that designated area. So you cannot mm-hmm. smoke anywhere else, but just in that specific zone. So, um, and are there is, limits? So, so this, this is going to be varying from city to city, state okay. to state. So, um, so for example, Nevada, they mm. want to push uh, single serve products. And although that might serve as a challenge for a lot of manufacturers because they have to repackage everything. They have to create an entirely new SKU Mm. uh, for that particular single serving product. Um, There's, there's going to be, there's pushback already. So that single serve aspect might be obsolete, but it's still in the process. People are going back and forth with the, uh, with the local governing authority in Nevada and, Mm. you know, pushing for not trying to do single serve, but there is, there is that, um, there's that initial ordinance that was, uh, proposed to have single serve, um, products, Mm -hmm. but in, uh, California, you can purchase, uh, as, as much as you can at a retailer, so mm-hmm. you have you have certain limits. You can get up to um, an ounce of flour in some cities, but you can get up to two ounces in other cities. So mm-hmm. it really depends mm-hmm. on your particular jurisdiction, how much they allow in retail, because that will translate over to how much they allow at the lounge. Understood. So the limit doesn't change, but there are 
proposals for putting those limits got it, got at lounges. So yeah. it's like, you know, obviously it's like on-premise and off-premise, how we have it in the drinks industry, right? Like you have bars and restaurants where you can consume there. And then you have the bottle shops where you have to not consume there, but you have to, you can purchase and take home, right? Uh, but here I can understand that we can have like 10 beers and nothing's going to happen. But in the lounge, I mean, after two joints or maybe one joint, you know, uh, how will how is it a good business? I mean, if someone's just going to come and have one joint and then go home. So this is where the additional business models come into play or service models rather. So you yeah. know how you go to a club, some clubs, they have bottle service, mm-hmm. there's bong service, there's rental fees for certain devices. So um, there's there's a very popular device called a student glass. It's uh, kind mm-hmm. of like a gravity bong. And it's also even used for um, infusing like uh, infusing like coal smoke into in, into food. So it has, it's a, it has a multi-purpose, but at the lounges, it's used kind of like a gravity bong hookah mm-hmm. setup and that has that that has a high price tag to rent because that piece itself costs around 600 to 700 dollars if you want to use it as a rental it would be upwards of you know 60 to 100 dollars for an hour so Mm. that is an that is a way to i guess uh deal with those who are Mm. not going to have a uh, a higher average uh transaction um so that's the rentals are going to be i guess the crux of some of what some lounges Mm uh are going to be making so not every lounge will be following that model the one uh the one lounge that gti has it's Mm -hmm. called rise lounge in uh, the suburbs of chicago Mm -hmm. and they don't have a rental uh rental fee or rental program they Mm -hmm. have a try before you buy program which i see as a little more uh approachable for a lot of Mm -hmm. our patrons they're Mm -hmm. happy to know that they don't have to pay for a rental uh, mm-hmm. But they do know they have an option to buy it from that it. place directly. So that uh, buying the devices directly from the lounge helps generate revenue for the lounge as opposed to buying it at the retail arm. Got it. So, um, so they can sell as well. Like they can actually sell, sell devices, uh, yeah. packaged uh, stuff, uh, cannabis as well. Yeah. So just like a retailer, you can sell the products. You can also Understood. sell paraphernalia and you know any other uh ancillary uh items that are often at a dispensary understood yeah so i i think uh back on you know uh starting a new dispensary right uh you know uh, i guess location as you said you know some of the th- findings you have made is a fast food joint like an ex mcdonald's site or something like that uh what are some tips that you would give in in uh you know if someone wants to start a new dispensary on location to budgeting or whatever it is, let's say I come yeah. to you as a friend. Hey, I'm thinking of starting a new dispensary. What are the 10 questions you would ask me immediately? Oh man. ten. <laughs> but <laughs> the first thing, the first thing I would check is like, of course, look into the area. Um, and if there is a license application process there, cause you'd okay. be surprised. There's not a lot of, uh, cities that do approve retail businesses, at least mm-hmm. in California and, and of course in other states as well. So definitely look into um, the the local city website to see if there is an application process for that. And if there mm-hmm. is, that's awesome. Then I would recommend looking at the competition. What's around that area? Is there mm-hmm. any? Are there any other dispensaries that are already up and running? Um, I would recommend visiting them, checking out their assortment, going on Weed Maps, check out the map see where you're trying to open yours and see the surrounding places, see their menus. Mm-hmm. And that would, that's, that's a, that's a huge thing that I get to do is scope out weed maps, 
see where they are on the map and see their menu. Like that is that is a, a great first step to a competitive analysis. So like I would start off with that. Um, and there's like a slew of things. So of course with property and then of course with investment, got to make sure you got enough investment. So let's just say hypothetically, you've got everything. You got all your money. You there, you can all, you, you uh, can totally do just, your life. Just for the fun there. fact, you know, if, if it's a 4,000 square feet, uh facility that you have to sort of make right like obviously yeah. depends on deco here and there how much investment is needed you know uh with inventory oh man so bitch like at least out here in california like gotta do one to two million to start up a shop here especially okay, so let's say two like million that. dollars right yeah so let's now say uh, how much how much they take can like i can tell you the numbers in bottle shop right by yeah. my experience so uh let's say in cannabis if it's a two million dollar investment does that store can, does it have a potential to do 1 million usually in sales? Yes. So like, especially with, so as we're focusing on like California or even SoCal, if a, to start up, the startup cost would be around one to 2 million. Okay. You should be projecting at least like five to 8 million is the range wow. at least for every year for, sales. Uh, yes. So like uh, just, just, um, yeah, but that is, that is and gross. Last and question is what's, yeah. What's the net? usually yeah so that that is gross but net would be so you have to pay a lot in taxes don't expect too much almost almost all of it can go away in net depending <laughs> on how much you owe what are your taxes in your particular city um but around net would be like two two to four range if we we're looking at five to eight so basically half is what it would go so overhead costs you got to expect like um you got to you got to make sure that you are incorporating your overhead your inventory inventory costs a lot too but a lot of brands do have like a net 30 option but you'd be surprised not a lot of dispensaries were able to pay the brands so they're mm -hmm. they're really on a 365 net at this point uh, mm -hmm. or net 365 at this point but um but after incorporating all all those costs you're making around like between like two to four um um net so gross five to eight net uh two to four or two to yeah two to four 40 percent like net margins so yeah like especially nowadays like it's rough right now to like have a shop it is but that's good. Not, I'm not saying good... forty percent is good, isn't it? You're talking about yeah. two million, right? Taking home on a five million sale. Yeah, if if it's if it's going strong, yes. Yeah, yeah. So okay. if it's a strong performing shop, yes. But like, so uh, sorry, go ahead. Using I... actual examples, like you know, some shops were barely bringing in uh one million net. So mm. like, depends on where you're where, where you're located. Depends what your assortment's like. Depends on your overhead. But if it's a good shop doing well you should be at least bringing in like 40%. Yeah. Understood. So basically if you, if you, if your dispensary is doing 40%, it's a good dispensary, pretty much. It's a good business, right? On a, if a buyer was looking forward to buy, you know, those kind of dispensaries are good businesses. Uh, yeah. What about the laws, you know, in alcohol, sometimes, you know, there are laws like, okay, you know, there is a, a mile radius. There's just one dispensary or, you know, thousand people, there's just one liquor store, right? Are there any laws protecting the licenses? So there, so some, some cities, and I'll, I'll give an example. One of, one of GTI's dispensaries is Essence in Pasadena, which is in Northeast LA. Um, there, there are laws or there, there were laws that would say you, if you're going to open a dispensary, you have to be 500 feet away from another dispensary that's mm -hmm. open. So there was a lot of pushback on that from competitors. They were like, oh, this, this reduces our chances of securing property because 
the city itself limited the green zone or the mm. places or the locations permissible for cannabis business to like a block. Mm -hmm. So you don't have many options. There's not many available properties in that block. So mm -hmm. a lot of the uh, a lot of the competitors for that dis for Essence Dispensary they wanted to open uh, less than 500 feet away because those were really mm -hmm. the only properties available. So there was some lobbying done. There was some changes. Mm -hmm. So they uh, reduced the 500 feet to 450 feet. So if there <laughs> because is one guy wanted to open within 450. Exactly. So if there's something set in stone, there is a way to you know, push back with the city if you'd like. But yes, okay. there's other zoning limitations. Like you can't be uh, within um, a certain amount of uh, 100 feet or even a thousand feet from a school or from mm. a child service uh, type of business. So that could be like a dancing studio. That could be a daycare. Um, and yeah, so you have to, you have to, I guess, follow those zoning um, zoning laws or mm -hmm. uh, or else you won't be compliant. But when it comes to being closer to other dispensaries, yes, there is a way to come. There, there are ways that dispensary uh, businesses are protected uh, from another dispensary opening up right next to them. Got but it. yeah, this particular case in Pasadena, the city caved in. Now it's four. It's uh, they reduced it to 450 feet. That uh, that competing dispensary is now 451 feet away I, from I understand. I, I got it. Yeah. Uh, I think on, on dispensary layout, uh, I believe you are, you must be also part of the whole design and everything, right? Like how, how the inventory flow... space is so important. Yeah. So I want <laughs> to ask so you, you know, why is it like really so much space is wasted in, okay, there is a security guy, then there's another door, there is just a reception, someone checking your ID and all that. And then just a few you know, I, I don't know, like, why are it's it's like a jewelry shop or something or an Apple store instead of like a bottle shop or liquor yeah. store or 7-Eleven. You know, what's what's the theory behind this kind of designs? So some dispensaries are changing their layouts to encourage more of that retail shopping experience. Um, there there's a, actually a High Times just opened a dispensary in San Bernardino and they have um, they have shopping baskets, like red mm -hmm. ones, very similar to CVS, and mm -hmm. they have a very grocery store, convenience store style layout. So okay. there, there are there are some retailers. So it's not the legal thing. It's not like you're forced to put everything behind the lock. You don't. So now you don't have to, but you have to have a check-in area. Um, okay. So depending on how you place your check-in area where where you have mm -hmm. to give your ID and get it scanned and make sure you're 21 plus, mm -hmm. um, they, you do have to have a designated check-in area. Mm -hmm. But the way uh, some retailers are doing it is to fit in that uh, that customer journey, that the traditional customer journey, the traditional customer flow at just these other traditional retailers. So mm -hmm. there are dispensaries taking that initiative. You don't have to have like the whole glass uh, mm -hmm. situation um, in some cities now. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. However, in medical states or medical only markets, you do have to maintain that uh, layout. But in adult use and recreational dispensaries um, in, in rec states, you don't have to really follow that much uh, of, mm -hmm. of restriction of having uh, wow. or separation anymore. Uh, but you have to have a security guard. You have to have a designated area uh, for check-in. And oh. um, but yeah, other than that, you can. What follow. about uh, uh, storage spaces? Right, like normally for yeah. liquor stores, you know, there is so much beer. Inventory storage. space is so important. That's the first thing I said. So is it can't... like, to what I'm understanding, that for cannabis, it's very less? Is it? I think I don't know because it's no just so way. high value. <laughs> 
No, I think so. Inventory space is like probably like I've seen it be overlooked by some retailers. Just and what thirty percent of the store it takes? I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say thirty percent. I would like so I if you have um if you have at least over like 500 square feet dedicated to your inventory mm -hmm. space, then you're good. But if you have less than that, it's going to be very difficult for you, depending on how much volume you also want to sell. Mm -hmm. if, you have a, if you have a small shop, you don't have much to worry about. But if you're trying to, if you're trying to push volume, if you're trying to uh, mm -hmm. have um, average, uh, average transactions um, to what most dispensaries around are mm -hmm. doing, then at least 500 square feet is what I would Got recommend. It. Also, you have to uh, take into mind fridge, fridges, fr mm -hmm. refrigerators, um, cooling units for beverages, uh, and concentrate products. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of uh, concentrate products on the market that require um, refrigeration, so need to make sure there's space for that. Uh, but I've been I've been at dispensaries that had a very small retail space, and it mm -hmm. is. It is very inefficient uh, for operations. Um, if you have a small space, you're ordering more frequently, uh, or you're ordering uh, you're ordering less amounts, but you're ordering more frequently, and that can really bog down inventory intake and just just general tracking of your mm. inventory. And just you know, it, it takes an entire entire night after after business hours mm. to make sure everything is um, up to date. Everything is all inputted into the system because these are all metric tagged too. So upon um, receiving your product. The dispensary or the inventory person uh, personnel at the dispensary has to do like Two a things, whole yeah. slew of processes uh, beyond just stocking it on the shelf. So yeah. uh, making sure you have an ample of space in your inventory, making sure you're not doing as many frequent orders and your orders are able to fulfill your mm -hmm. uh, your consumer base is very important. So I always recommend a, a nice storage inventory uh, storage area. What are some good flows you've seen, you know, where uh, it actually has increased sales, you know, yeah, uh, so, footfalls flow and up sales and cross sales? So a lot of um, a lot of brands are pushing for like little brand activations in uh, within stores. So like they there's a lot of, uh, you know, shelving space that they can kind of take over, put their um, put their branding on there. And that really is more. Uh, beneficial for the brand and of course the retailer because they're pushing mm -hmm. those products. Uh, but just but the actual customer journey and processes that I've seen, mm -hmm. uh, um, I guess increasing sales would be um, having having multiple options for ordering. So there mm -hmm. could be a kiosk, there could be a pickup uh, a, a pickup service, there could be a um, that there could be a uh, what is it called? Um, I'm losing I'm losing but, my train of thought. But tender but standing I, there. Well, that too, but you can have a kiosk style or you can do it directly from an iPad from mm -hmm. uh, your butt tender. So you don't even have to talk to the butt tender or you can talk to the butt yeah. tender. So like you can really save time um, by just having these automated ordering mm -hmm. systems. So mm -hmm. adding automation to your ordering and your pickup is going to really increase sales. That's what I've noticed. Got just autom Yeah. Automating ordering, automating pickup. And uh, the flow, uh, oh, and you've, you've yeah. noticed some <laughs> placements flow. where you think, you know, uh, th this kind of category, if I just put it, you know, right at the door, it works better. And then some categories, 
so organizing categories is super important. That mm-hmm. is something I'm seeing some dispensaries uh, are maintaining, but some are going away from that route. So traditionally, dispensaries always had cat- specific categories with uh, uh, separated from other categories. So mm-hmm. now some dispensaries are merging the two. I'm not a big fan of that. Having a flow where you have your flour here, your concentrates here, your edibles here, I think is perfect. Um, I think from the get-go, the person at the front desk or whoever is greeting you should tell you where everything is, mm-hmm. as opposed to them just kind of shopping around and seeing where, ev- trying to find where everything is. If you just tell them from the get-go, as soon as they enter, our flowers here, our concentrates here, here are our beverages, here are our edibles, mm-hmm. that really expedites the process. And and um, there's not a lot of customers asking questions on the floor, like, oh, where can I see this or where can I find this? You're going to keep questions this, at a minimum. Got it. This may be like a silly question, but can't, can't dispensaries sell any other stuff like teas or water or snacks or anything? So some cities do allow that. You can okay. have um, like, you know, water bottles or, or juices, um, but not every city is OK with that. Um, there, there is one particular dispensary out here where, um, in the Valley, I live very close to it. They have like a small mini fridge with just regular drinks, um, Mm -hmm. not non-alcoholic, but just Mm -hmm. like, you know, juices, um, like milkshake type drinks, but not every city, um, allows that, but it is Mm -hmm. nice to see that. Got it. Uh, what about, you know, uh, do you also train people? I believe that would be also part of your thing where you're, you know, it's a new dispensary. You you have to sort of uh, empower uh, new staff with, with the new systems or inventory or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Like, what, what are those kind of things which, uh, you know, usually you would want when it's new, you have to cover all these modules with, with the staff? Yeah, so with personnel training, um, a mm-hmm. lot goes into it. So of course we we start with the basics. We do very um, like we we start easy cannabis 101. We go through all the different uh, types of products and methods of ingestion and um, uh, common questions that patients or customers will ask. Then we distinguish the differences between uh, customer service and patient mm-hmm. care. And then on the operations side, we, of course, go through how the POS works. Um, there's there's a lot that goes into mm-hmm. POS, especially mm-hmm. with cannabis, um, how to make sure you're checking in someone uh, properly, how someone's being checked out properly, uh, making sure you're um, making sure all the taxes are showing up on on your uh, transaction screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of the elements of the POS training, the operations and POS training. Um, and of course, with inventory intake, that is for the back of house mm-hmm. staff, then for the front of house is more uh, service based and hospitality uh, standard based. So there is a difference between um, front of house and back of house training. Uh, but I have recently been encouraging both front of house and back of house to be trained on both sides, just in mm-hmm. case someone had to fill in for the other. So, um, but yes, yeah, service, hospitality, ops, POS, inventory intake. Super. I think one last one here uh, for, you know, what you've observed, you know, during everything uh, on an operator, right? How much it boils down to, you know, the GM uh, operating a dispensary and then someone else is operating B dispensary. So uh, where do you see that? Okay, wow, this is a pure example of a good manager running a dispensary. And this is, it's like gone because of a bad executor. 
So give right. give us some uh, bad examples and some good examples, please. Yeah. So I I do think a GM can make or break a shop. So mm-hmm. like regardless of a dispensary having all the backing it needs from leadership, I still think a GM is is a reflection of the dispensary. And if the dispens like if if there's a dispensary not making sales, then the GM isn't pushing hard enough. Mm-hmm. Um, there he's not or he or she is not um, motivating their staff to make more sales. Um, they're not communicating with the uh, like marketing or administrative team enough to push uh, to push out more um, you know advertisement or promotions for the dispensary. So I, if if yeah if a dispensary that isn't doing well, so dispensary B that one isn't doing well, mm-hmm. they're probably not communicating with the with the other administrative people that are there to help boost up the store, and they're not motivating their staff enough. So low sales, I think, is is something that is the responsibility of the GM that mm-hmm. they need to take uh, um, take control of. So dispensary A, a good example would be the GM is very hands on. Uh, they themselves are on the floor from time to time, making sure that they are supportive, especially during rush hours. Um, they are empowering their staff enough to the point where they're educated, they're knowledgeable on all the products on the floor, they're able to push it, um, and there's solid communication on prod on products that uh, need to need to get out, like or need mm-hmm. to be uh, sold off immediately, just because there might be another order coming in. Or it's probably, you know, getting getting towards the um, not the end of the shelf life, but to the point where we need to refresh the shelves. So mm-hmm. like that would be that would I, I would see um, I would see a benefit to a store if they keep having fresh product. If a, disp- mm-hmm. if a dispensary doesn't have fresh, fresh product, then something's wrong with not the staff, but with whoever is leading the staff and not making sure those products are going out. So Dispensary A will have fresh product, rotating assortment, um, new stuff or new drops, new products, um, very good uh, floor staff that knows how to sell product and can explain why they should sell the product to mm-hmm. you. Because um, remember, these staff or, or the, the personnel and the staff, they're not representing the brand. So mm-hmm. they could care less on pushing out a particular product. But mm-hmm. Then that in turn, you know, goes to the other staff members who are in charge of buying. So the buyers mm-hmm. have to make sure that they know their con- uh, customer base, talking with the GM, communicating about what's doing well, what's not. So if there's a GM, they're not communicating with marketing or buying uh, or the buying teams or their own staff on the floor, then you're going to see a decrease in sales. But if they're doing all of the above, then of course, sales are going to be increasing. So um, but 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 what's interesting is is a lot of the staff depend on the GM to incentivize what they're doing mm. too. So I think a GM who incentivizes their their staff makes sure they're able to try the product. So a lot of brands do give samples, but if the GM is is making sure the uh, samples are getting into the uh, into the sales uh, or not the sales, but the floor staff's uh, hands, they're able to try it, give feedback on it, and they'll be able to sell it. So mm. I think, yeah, shop is indeed a reflection of the GM or whoever is running it. Got it. Got it. Where can people learn about, you know, I'm sure you've, you've mastered your art, but I think it looks like it's mainly from the practical experience. But is there a, a, a place where people can learn about dispensary design or even uh, workflows, you know, or just if, for a GM, let's say, is trying to improve their skill. Uh, are there any resources that you can recommend? 
Oh, some resources. Oh, man. Um, so I actually found a really good resource um, on Flowhub. They have templates for SOPs for retailers. Mm -hmm. So right. there's, um, yeah, so I, I like to, I like to refer to that a lot. It kind of goes through different processes um, uh, for day-to-day -day and um, yeah, for day-to-day -day dispensary operations, there's cash handling and management, there's inventory procurement and management. Um, there's also checking in and checking out processes on there. Um, there's uh, also some COVID protocols on there as well. So mm -hmm. this is like uh, Flowhub is a POS, um, although I don't use them, uh, and um, I'm I would I would recommend other POS, but I do recommend the resources that Flowhub has. Mm -hmm. Any books do you read, uh, Ooh, which are like is, business books and cannabis? There is or? one book. I'm forgetting what it's called, um, but it is it, it is about um, cannabis retail. Oh man, I should have prepared oh, nice. for that. No worries, There's we'll one book. There's well, one well, book and actually the name comes in just friend. email and I'll add it in the comments. Yes. So. Yeah. Th there's one book. And um, so my, my business partner, Sarah, Sarah Stewart, she comes from the hospitality side. I come from cannabis. She gave me a book called setting the table nice. and I gave her a book, which was about um, all about cannabis dispensaries and retail. So I'm going to let you know what book that is because I don't have good. it anymore. Sounds good. Any closing remarks you have for people? Anything you want to say? Oh man, I think like as as a retailer, you are in charge of essentially setting the trend uh, with with not only your assortment, but with your customer service and the experience that you're offering. So being a retailer, being a, a lounge consumption lounge business, you have a lot of power uh, to set trends in cannabis. Super. Thanks for the shout out to all the retailers out there. You know, let's let's grow the consumers in categories. And I oh, think that, that's sure. where it is. And yeah, and if people want to follow me, I'm Hi Maha on Instagram and I'm on LinkedIn as well. So yeah, always open to chatting and, you know, comparing notes and improving uh, our processes. <laughs>